0: Welcome back to another episode of the Laravel Podcast. I'm your co-host, Matt Stouffer. Guys, can you introduce yourselves? I'm Taylor I always go first. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) And I am Jeffrey Way. So I'm such a dork that I've actually been listening to other podcasts to figure out how do they do the initial introduction things. Uh, One of the ones that I liked, and I know this doesn't matter, but I don't care because I care and and you all have to listen to me now. Uh, One of the things I liked was another group says the the host, the first, first person talking says the name of each of them. And then they all say, you know, hey or whatever. What I like is that like when I join a podcast I haven't listening to for a long time, they assume that you know which voice goes to which name. And you Mm -hmm. don't always. So that's why I have us do this. So anyway, that doesn't matter. So Lyricon is almost here. Uh... My Child is Almost Here. Uh, Laravel 5.3 is Almost Here. Lots of new things are at the Almost Here, but not quite here yet. So we're going to cover a couple of them. It's been only two weeks. It's been a pretty recent one. So we're not going to go too far down this road. But um, let's talk about some stuff. So the thing has been most active this morning. And uh, Jeffrey, you said that you're going to edit this one pretty quick. So I'm going to assume that y'all are going to get this very quickly after we recorded it. So the thing this morning, Thursday morning, uh, 10, 18 a.m. Eastern right now, is we've been talking about the routes file. Uh, And Taylor, you put out a, a public thing and then you know I, there's been a lot of conversation on twitter and then also uh, privately we chat a little bit about where does the routes folder or file live um and if you're going to split it up into the possibility of multiple routes files where are they going to live so could you give us
1: the basic what are you thinking about what's the question you're asking right now and then we can t- chat about it a little bit yeah so what sort of went before all this was i wanted to have two routes files a web routes file and an api routes file routes file and that's uh you know, may or may not be because of things that are coming uh, in the near future. But anyway, it was going to make more sense to have two routes files out of the box. And they sort of go nicely with, you know, you have the web middleware group and the API middleware group, and you have the web routes file and the API routes file. But then when you have two routes files, if you leave them in the HTTP directory, you end up, when you alphabetize them, in your like your editor, editor alphabetizes them, and like in your left sidebar, you end up with HTTP... Um, api.php and then in the middle you have kernel.php and then at the bottom you have web.php which is really weird we and so that. then you you feel like you need a folder for routes so if you, then you think well i'll just put it in http because that's where the routes already are but then that sort of like brought up the whole discussion of do routes even belong in the app directory at all since the app directory is really a psr4 namespace directory full of classes and these are the only two files in that entire directory that are more like uh procedural files that are not auto loaded they're manually loaded by the framework at a certain time and you know do they really make sense in there and in most applications my thinking is that they basically become more like a configuration file where they map uris to controllers and that's really all they do um you know that being said you can define closures in your routes to sort of um have all your behavior in one routes file but probably for most large applications when you have i mean even 100 routes is not really that large but that would get pretty cumbersome in a routes file so we started playing around with a few ideas and the latest idea we threw out on twitter for a discussion was having just a top level routes directory um, with the two routes files there which is kind of nice because it's not buried super deep in the directory structure but it's not mixed in with any psr4 directory structure anyways that's kind of where we're at now
2: i I think it's pretty funny because maybe if you're listening to this your instinct might be like oh just put it in the http slash routes folder and you know bada bing bada boom you're you're done and i I think the the cool thing about laravel is even for like these tiny decisions they are labored over so so much because yeah it's funny it's just a folder but Every time you create one more folder, it's like you you stack on the complexity just this much. And then if you keep doing that, it gets more and more complex. And, and before you know it, it's kind of overwhelming. And then you're at the point where you just want to access the entry point to your application, your routes file. But now with the default install of Laravel, you have to like toggle open three different directories. And uh, some people might say, "Well, you hit Command P and you go directly to that," but that's just not how everyone works. And and I think you have to think about beginners and and just the natural flow of why it makes sense for really the entry point for your website to be that deeply nested. Um, it's it's hard because for me, what what I would say is the pure natural way or natural place to put it is in that app HTTP slash routes folder. That's kind of like it it fits your your. Like I was saying on uh, Telegram, it fits your need for cleanliness. Like this is connected to HTTP, so that's where it goes in my mind. But then also, like it it just doesn't feel right to be that deeply nested. So that's why mm-hmm. we've been talking about a, a project root slash routes file, which which um, I think I, I've switched over to. It, it does feel a, a bit more natural. What are you thinking, Matt?
0: Yeah, Adam and I went back and forth a little bit about there's like, if if you purely want to make an architectural purity argument, which is not the the primary goal here but if that you know you want to balance you know pragmatism versus architecture all kind of stuff the architectural the two architectural purity arguments around it are one um, in five, I think it was five Taylor. The we all of a sudden we have a HTTP folder and a console folder, and there's this kind of like intellectual division between things that are coming from HTTP requests and things that are coming from console. So that's why I kind of routes ended up in app HTTP routes.php. But I think we kind of talk a little bit, especially if we're adding multiple routes files and adding a multiple folders, we're getting deeper and deeper down there. And so there's like a pragmatic argument that like it's the it's kind of the heartbeat of the application, right? It's like the first thing, it's the first entry point, and Adam made a really great great point this is a web framework right like routes.php is really the core of it um so to have it really far down not only is it a little bit of like a mental shift for those of us who use it but especially for new people new people they do a lot of discovery just by like clicking through the folder structure or people who don't have a command p alternative and so we really want those kind of foundational things to be accessible but i think the other architectural purity argument that adam made is that if you want to talk about psr4 architectural Purity, which, again, this, these aren't the foundational things, but it's worth thinking about. Um, routes.php is the only non-PSR4 loaded file in that app folder. And so you could actually make an argument of moving it out of there just for that reason. Again, it's this is less about purity and architecture, and this is a little bit more about just... Where does it make sense? And I think, from a, especially a learner's perspective, and if you're really willing to like step back and just think, like, what are the things that takes my brain an extra fifty milliseconds to figure out when something is on a new project, where I'm, or I'm coming back to Laravel after a while gone, or especially as you watch beginners. This is really one. This is a really foundational thing. I mean, when I was writing my book, I had to step back and say, if I'm going to teach somebody how to make a Laravel app from scratch, what is the first thing they should think about? And routing's first because it just, you know, I, getting it set up is first. But re- routing is the core of it. And you can make the simplest or the most complex app in Laravel, and they're always going to have this routes file. Like the simplest route, you know, app ever would be a couple routes with, you know, route closures or a couple routes returning views. So routes are always at the core. So I love the idea of exposing it more, getting it higher level. My favorite proposal I've seen so far is the routes folder with an api and a web.php so
2: it's pretty it's pretty fun to to think about like as a listener just imagine a typical Laravel install and now imagine it was up to you to figure out where you're going to put a web routes file and an api routes file so it's like okay you could put it in the app directory so a direct child of the app directory but right now your your eloquent models go in there so you'd have like your user model and your post model and your your comment model But then you would also have like routes or web.php and then api.php for your routes. And those are all jumbled up. So now that feels weird. So you have to think like, well, if you do that, maybe you you do have to create a models folder. And now all eloquent models go in there. So it's a very tricky thing because no matter what you pick, it's almost like trade-offs where it's like, okay, we're going to put routes in the root, but... Are they linked to HTTP? Does it belong in there? Well, well, maybe, but is that the most, um, as we would say, the most Zonda approach? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a very, very tricky thing. It's not as easy as, as it sounds uh, on the surface.
1: Yeah, and there's some other considerations too. Like when you have your routes file in your app directory, we actually, if you look in your phpunit.xml file on a new 5.2 folder, we actually have to have put this exclude, this whole exclude block for that routes file so that it doesn't try to process that for like... Um, I can't remember if it's related to code coverage or something like that, but we have to sort of work around the fact that we're throwing procedural files into this class-based uh, folder structure. So it would clean up some of that as well. Cool. Well, it looks like um, there's been a lot of
0: different opinions coming in. Um, I, I- i I'm, I'm going to say this at the, the possibility of people getting angry with me about it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, one of the things that uh, – Taylor often kind of goes to Twitter to ask for in- input. And this morning, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, I, I prefer the app HTTP routes.php file. And I don't want to say that anybody who said that is saying this just for the reason I'm about to say. But I think there's definitely an element of the – um. You know, anytime that Apple comes out with something new, everybody says it's awful and why are you doing that? Or there's the whole like Henry Ford quote where he says, if I had listened to what people wanted, they just would have wanted a faster horse. Um, not to say that just asking a whole bunch of people to vote is a bad idea or that people's opinions aren't valid or anything like that. But I do think that it's very interesting to like do the mental exercise of like stepping back from what's comfortable and what you know. Um, and what makes you happiest, especially upon like an immediate response to something new, whether it's like the PHP storm billing cycle or whatever, and like stepping back and thinking about who are all the people who have you know who have needs here and what are all the technical concerns and what does a new user look like and how do they interact with it and trying to make um, decisions based on that uh, Taylor, one of the things I'd love the most about how um, you think about things in general, but especially when you're going you know making these sorts of ar- architectural changes and also when you're going back to the docs is your ability to kind of try and put yourself in the mindset of a new user. Um, as someone who knows the framework be- better than anybody else, um, maintaining the ability to do that is is important. And I've asked you this before in the podcast, but I want to, just since you're right in the middle of it, to just see, is there anything... Um, if, if someone were interested in developing kind of the practice of being able to put themselves in the mind space of whether it's like a new user to the, to the, the framework or to their packages, are there any particular things that you do to try and kind of put yourself in that space?
1: Um, I'm not sure. I usually just try to start building something new, like as a test run to see like how things feel like after I install the framework, you know, is the way I'm clicking around and like be very like in the moment to how I'm navigating the framework to feel like, does this really make sense what I'm doing? Or am I just like
2: making a bunch of assumptions because I know it, you know, Hmm. it's a little tricky. I know one thing I've noticed that you do is you'll be working on the documentation and then simply going through that and processing it you start thinking like oh this isn't right this could be way easier you know so i've noticed you say that a lot where working on the documentation actually leads to to improving the framework
1: oh yeah i mean just the other day um you know i was working on the documentation just yesterday i think for the file uploads and I got to the part where it tells you how to, you know, move your upload because PHP puts it in like this temporary directory and then you have to move it into a uh, a more permanent location. But like the actual moving part was like super grim. Like you had to um,
2: do like a... Nobody knows. You got to research it every single (laughs) time. Yeah. We all have decades of experience. Probably none of us can remember unless you research it.
1: But I just wanted to be able to say you can just do, you know, request, file, whatever, and then call a store method. And it uses one of your file systems that you already have configured, you know, in your config slash file systems directory. So in that case, it was kind of the documentation. Like, what do I want the documentation to say? And then making the code do that. I like that. I was uh, he had there's some changes
0: to the way the auth and the auth controllers work and how they're lined up on all kind of stuff that just got pushed to the um to the core uh, you know in, in 5.3. And I was looking over it um because so my book's almost done and it's going to be 5.3. So I read every commit that comes in and then make sure the book's up to date for it. So I rewrote the auth section of my book for these updates. And it basically got like to be a third the length that it was prior or a quarter the length. And I messaged it and I'm like, wow, like I don't know exactly how I would normally respond to this because it's different than what I'm used to. But, man, you just took the documentation that I think is appropriate to teach somebody how to use it from scratch, and it's now a quarter of the length it was before. That's, that's probably a good sign. So that makes sense to what you're saying about, like, get the get the docs the way you want. You know, see long and complicated and confusing and hard-to-remember docs as signs that the, the, the function itself should be
2: easier. Yeah, it's a different kind of DDD, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Cool. All
0: right. So speaking of things in 5.3, most of what um, you can discover about 5.3, there's been quite a few articles um, about it. Like I said, I'm writing each feature up, but also Laravel News and recently Scotch um, did one as well. A lot of people have done just roundup of the basic changes in 5.3, but recently there was a tweet from the esteemed Mr. Otwell um, uh, teasing, teasing uh, Scout and Passport. We have no information about what these things are. Uh, So Taylor, do we get to hear anything or do we have to wait until Laricon?
1: Mm, yeah, I mean you're probably gonna have to wait till Laricon, but they're both uh, pretty cool. Uh, Passport's definitely the bigger uh, project of the two. Scout is a little bit on the small side. It's just a, kind of a simpler thing, but still very useful. And uh, yeah, both of those things will be demoed at Laricon, along with the uh, some notification related stuff. So yeah, mm. lots of cool stuff to talk about at Laricon, as well as you know all the other Laravel five point three stuff, the Webpack stuff. Um, there's lots, of, there's lots of little things that I have documented that all add up to sort of a lot of improvements.
2: Mm-hmm. I know, like you were saying on Twitter, how at the very end everything sort of comes together. It's like, I've even noticed that, because obviously for Lyricast, I'm going to cover all of the new stuff. And I have a little list here, and it wasn't that long, but now it just keeps getting longer and longer to the point that this is a pretty major release. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't have thought that even two or three months ago. So it's all coming together
0: um so two more things to talk about before we go first jeffrey you mentioned recently on lyricast snippet that you were trying out um doing two sets of two hours every day really kind of devoted work for two hours and then just not think about it so i feel like it's
2: been is it been a week or two weeks since uh how's it working for you he's got a smile on matt has a smile on his face right now like he thinks it's total bs okay no i'm about not it. saying that at all i actually <laughs> am very curious okay be, well i'm going to agree that it's half bs and half totally true Okay, uh, for anyone listening, <laughs> if you go to Laracast.audio, just look for the the two hours, two times. I think that's it. You can listen to it. It's five minutes. Uh, Self promotion out of the way. Uh, anyways, okay. So here's the basic idea: is like my wife and I just had a baby, and the baby's getting to this fun age already, where she's a month old, but she we're kind of able to communicate with her, and she gets like these big eyes when if we sing, or it, you know, it's just a cool age for her to be at. So I like I want to be out there with them as much as possible. So I've been thinking about like my typical workday, which is like nine to five, just like basically everyone else. But then uh, basically what I say on the podcast is if you think about it, nobody is truly doing nine to five. Um, there, there's lunch in the middle of it. There's, especially if you work at, um, if you, if you don't work remote, then you're going in, you're getting coffee, you're saying hello, you're, you're taking a break to go to the pool table, you know, all of that stuff. Um, Maybe before lunch, you take 10 or 15 minutes to kind of wrap things up quietly. You don't want to take new tasks on because you're about to leave. And then when you get back from lunch, you're kind of tired. You've had caffeine. You're not really focusing. So, you know, the the idea is that I'm not sure anyone is truly doing eight hours worth of work every day. The reality might be that you're getting about four, I don't know, maybe four to five hours worth of actual work done during the day. And the rest of it is just... I don't know, you know, like we're all, we're all on Telegram all of the time. Think how much work we could all be getting done if we weren't just chatting all of the time. You need it. You, like you need those breaks. Our minds are not designed to just, fo- especially with code, we're not designed to just focus for hours and hours and hours on end. So my solution was for me to test out this thing where I go to Google and I type uh, timer two hours, and Google will just automatically start a timer for you. And then from that point on, I close all messaging apps like twitter or telegram and that's where i really focus and i do it hardcore that's all i do i don't take breaks i don't go to facebook i don't do anything and after the two hours i take a break and that's where like my family and i will get lunch i'll play with the baby we'll do anything for maybe a number of hours and then around two to three o'clock i'll come back and i'll do another two hours and i'll set the timer again and do the exact same thing And what I'm finding is I think it's actually working out surprisingly well because I never have a point during the day where I'm working on code, but my mind just isn't in. I'm just not into it. You know, I'm too tired and you kind of want to nap, but you need to be working and you're just not producing very good output. That doesn't happen anymore. When I come back to work, whatever it is, it could be two o'clock or five o'clock or whatever. Um, I'm entirely focused on it, and I'm getting pretty good results. Now, here's where I would say half of it's BS. Uh, I think when it comes to the, the creative side, like being creative with code, you can't put a time limit on. And I think you guys all know this. Like when, If you're working on some code or open source thing and you get excited, sometimes you'll look up and five hours has gone by, and you're in your office late at night or, or something like that. That's where it's different. But I kind of keep that separate because, to me... That's sort of the fun stuff. That's what you would be doing uh, if you didn't have work. Like, I I would imagine most of us worked on code or work on code in our free time. So that's sort of a hobby. So you take the two hours, two times thing, and you apply it mostly to work junk that you don't necessarily want to do, like answering emails, uh, having meetings, all of that stuff. And then anything after, if you do want to work at night, uh, that's fine. Just make sure it's stuff you actually enjoy. You still think it's BS, though, Matt? I actually never thought it was BS. The, there
0: is, yeah, one, part is I, one part I thought is there's one part I thought is BS, but it's funny because I didn't know that you would have picked it up from my smile, which is the idea that most people at like a consultancy like I work at only work for real hours, and I, I don't I don't think that's true. But I think you were being hyperbolic, and I think it's good to be hyperbolic to make a point. But what I the rest of it I love, and I think some of the pieces that I love are um, one um, forcing yourself to work. Um, when you don't have any energy ends up basically like being the worst possible thing to do because you don't have any energy nobody's getting any good work out of you that's why we tell like people who work at titan like when you're sick just go home like you're forced you're not healing better you're not getting any good work done just get out of here and get better and then come back and do good work so i love the idea of like giving yourself those spaces and we try to do that at titan you know we expect people to work relatively predictable hours you know most people work nine to five ish um but we are remote so we have flexibility and so very 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 commonly if somebody's just low energy or needs a nap like the number of naps that are taken at titan is ridiculous because why push yourself to work when you're dragging um as long as you're on a project and you have a schedule for the rest of the day that's flexible, the flexible for it they'll just tell whoever their pm is or tell me and hey, you know what i just need nap i'll be back in an hour and then i'll work an hour later or something like that that's fine so i love that i think that's that's beautiful and also i love the idea that it's really basically like a, an extension of the pomodoro technique right it's basically like hyper focus on something with a predictable end means you can kind of slog through those things that if you just had an eight hour day you just keep putting them off and off and off and off i love that because for me like uh, i'm not a developer a lot of my developers most of their day is there's a there's a one meeting maybe two meetings a day we keep them short um, we we're flexible in their hours. And so when I sit down to program, they can really just program. My job is like 10,000 different things. And it's a lot of them that I don't want to do. I'd really like to just program all day or pair with people or meet with people. And I, I don't tend to love preparing documents or reading emails or you know whatever else. And so doing some form of Pomodoro or, or, or two sets of two hours or whatever on those things I don't like is brilliant. So I, I, I think, at least in my context, the two takeaways I get from it are one... Um, pomodoro or whatever on the things you don't like doing and two, um try to give yourself enough flexibility to not work when you don't have the energy and then work when you do have the energy and you know if that ends up working where you're only some up to four hours a day awesome um so yeah i don't think it's bs but i i I do i am amazed by that (laughs)
2: like i said it's partially bs it's true sometimes you're on a deadline or something and you do sit there for 11 hours and you just have to get it done i I think we've all done that but I, I think for a lot of people, I don't, I'm not sure how hyperbolic the four-hour idea is. Maybe a little bit, maybe, maybe five hours. But it, <laughs> if you think about it, a normal eight-hour workday has an hour for lunch. So we're really just comparing seven hours of work versus four or five. So there's not a huge discrepancy if you can get rid of some of the, some of the things that people – like uh, at my previous job – uh, I worked remote, but I did go to Australia and work with them for for like a month. And y- you do see it like people they lose interest. It's like they can't keep focus, so they mm-hmm. go play pool. They're they're playing around here. They're they're having a snack. They're getting a cup of coffee. They're having some tea later. You know. So once you add up all of the time there, I think it does cut into that seven hours worth of work uh, pretty drastically. But yeah, you know, it, it's just an idea. Uh, it's just something I'm touring around with. Like I said, like the, the podcast right before that, I'm talking about how I was up till three in the morning working on something. Yeah. yeah. So like I said, you, you can't really put a timer on being creative, which is what so much of our job is. But um, for other stuff, uh, it's worth a play at the least. So Taylor,
0: you work for yourself and you work at home. Do you have any kind of structures like this that you have? or What is,
1: what is your scheduling of when to work and how? what does it look like for you? Um, I always do email first. I almost never open Slack ever because I think it's the worst. And then uh, I close Telegram for, for decent portions of the day. Um, so that's sort of when I get a lot done and seems to work pretty well. I still, uh, I close actually my email too. I keep that totally closed and I open it like every couple hours. Um, so like I'll check it in the morning and clear it out and then I might pop it back open at like 11 and then look at it and then so that it's cleared out for lunch i don't like to keep it open all day because they just kind of flow in it's distracting slack Mm -hmm. i'll get notifications if i leave it open so i just keep that closed and almost i almost never open that anymore um so yeah that's kind of how i do things telegram is probably my biggest distraction mainly because like i can mute certain groups right so like we have a little group and i can keep that muted but like My wife's on there. My family's on there. And so I don't really keep those muted. And sometimes that can get a little chatty during the day. So, you know, it just depends. Sometimes I'll have to close it and then tell my wife, like, message me on iMessage if you really need something. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, speaking of this, uh, we actually talked about the fact that uh, you
0: and Adam and um, Dan and Samantha from Titan all uh, headed up to Chicago and sat through, a, I think it was a four-hour long session with the Basecamp folks and listening to to DHH and Ryan Singer and Jason Fried talk about how they work as Basecamp and what they do as a company. And, and so we just wanted to get you uh, a chance to just share, is there anything really big takeaways you took away from that, especially talking about distraction and Slack and everything?
1: Yeah, the main th- thing I came away with was they have this super high value on like uh, complete thoughts, I guess I would say, in terms of the way they communicate with people. So, of course... They they tried really hard not to make it like a sales pitch for Basecamp, and at the very beginning, they just asked the audience, "Give us every question you want to know the answer to. What do you want to come away with? You know, at this workshop." And people named a bunch of stuff, a lot of stuff around hiring actually seemed to be um, a lot of the things people were thinking about that were there. So they talked a lot about like how they hire, um, how they manage new hires, how they lay people off, even you know, lots of sort of logistical things around hiring. But what what I was most interested in was. They Of course, Basecamp has Campfire, which is sort of like a Slack, I guess, a very stripped-down version of Slack, just a basic chat. And then they have this feature called Threads, which is more like a a message board. And they use message board-type communication for almost everything of value. They say they very purposefully keep their campfire chat, very just like water cooler talk, just joking around, hey, how's everyone doing, blah, blah, blah. But they never put really anything of substance in the campfire that always goes in the threads because it's sort of like people uh, with the campfire, they feel like they come back and they have like 200 messages they missed. They have to scroll through it and maybe nothing was intended for them. And so now they've wasted that time. But with threads, they can be a lot more focused on what people are reading. And it also sort of causes people to like sit and actually think about what they're typing instead of just like rapid fire, um, campfire back and forth. So I thought that was really cool. And they seemed very like they talked about a lot trying to create this so-called peaceful work atmosphere where it's you're not always in chat all day. You know, um, you're. You know you're working on stuff, and then you can catch up on any threads you want to uh, when you get back, and you don't feel like you have to catch up on Campfire. Like if there's 200 messages in Campfire, you can just assume, you know, so what? That was just a bunch of casual talk, and anything important is going to be in a thread. So that was sort of their thing, which really resonated with me because I'm, you know, maintaining Laravel um, and being in Slack is like a huge time sink because there's just so many people and. Um, you know, I've struggled for a long time. What's the best way to stay in touch with people that are using the framework, you know, and and Slack is a cool way, I think, to like sort of hang out and chat with people, but it's turned out to be a really bad way for like the Slack internals channel on Laravel is a really bad way to talk about internal development because many, many times I've had intense discussions in there that are lost forever because, We don't have paid history because there's 9,000 users on the Slack channel. So, um, you know, it's tough, and I don't know what the best answer is. It may be the best answer is to have that kind of communication just on GitHub itself, you know, on issue discussions because it's more permanent, it's more searchable. Um, So, yeah, that was my trip. Met DHH, huge highlight, uh, greatest programmer of all time
2: or whatever. So (laughs) (laughs) You know, it makes sense to me. I've had stuff in the past where... Um, when I worked for other people, a manager would say, hey, can we schedule a call? And they wouldn't tell me what it was about. So then once we do the call, all of their questions, I'm suddenly left in the position of having to give them an answer on the spot. And when you think about it, I'm not sure that's how most of us work. Um, I would always, and I always appreciate it when somebody says, can we talk about this? I'm going to ask you about A, B, and C. And then I actually have time to, to think about a reply rather than just feeling the silence on the phone call and having to just spit something out without really giving it uh, much thought. So and and I feel like this this idea of giving more eloquent answers on basecamp kind of fits my my brain a little more. But I don't know. I don't yeah, use Slack. Was, I don't use IRC anymore.
1: It was interesting to see because like they would pull up real threads, you know, because we were in just the basecamp basecamp that they use for real. And so I would see a thread where like maybe Ryan Singer would post this pitch for a new feature and he would have drawings from his iPad Pro and like it was like I mean Gosh, a, a very long post. I mean, it would take you probably 30 minutes to read through it all, like very detailed. And then like, wow, Jason Freed might respond that day. And then maybe a couple of days might go by where no one talks about it. And then maybe David jumps in and throws in a comment. And then they kind of go back and forth a little bit. So it was kind of interesting because like they're having these very like thoughtful, nuanced discussions in this thread. And it's okay if it goes a couple of days without any activity. And then you can just kind of pick back up on it without... Being lost in Slack and kind of disconnected, so that was really interesting. You know, I guess a lot of people may use email for something like that typically, but it, w- it was sort of interesting to have it there in Basecamp and see how they're using the product. It kind of helped me understand. It helped me help me understand Basecamp as a product because when I first saw Basecamp three and saw Campfire, I was like, "Wow, this Campfire is actually really kind of lame compared to Slack." You know, but I now I understand like they want it to be kind of lame, like they don't want you to live in campfire. It's just a basic chat and they want threads is really, I feel like, where they want you to be most of the time. Yeah, Titan, we actually literally don't use email
0: other than to communicate with people outside of the company and even those people we try to bring in. And that's a pretty big shift once we move to Slack um, but the, I think some of the pains we're feeling are that whole immediacy thing. Like when you just described the idea that something could just sit for a couple of days and then someone could come back later, felt like a pressure off my shoulders because if something happens in Slack and you don't respond to it within an hour or something, I mean, often, depending on the pace, if you don't respond to it within 30 seconds, it's gone. You know, I, I could be typing something and all of a sudden the conversation has gone somewhere else and I delete what I was typing because it's already moved so fast that I just can't do it. Um, so we we've gotten kind of excited about that idea. What I I, I think that the, a lot of the ways they do things aren't going to work for us as a consultancy, but we also have some products. So we actually decided to move Karani, which is one of our it's our longest running product, um, entirely over to Basecamp for a while because Dan went went to the thing and Samantha went to the thing, and Dan's actually writing a blog post a link to the show notes. So we're just going to try it out, like see what happens if we move Karani over entirely over to Basecamp. Um, just what is the experience like?
1: Yeah, that'd be really interesting. After you move it, after a couple of months of having it there, he should write a follow up blog post.
0: Yeah, that was that was the plan to see how it works for us and share with everybody because it makes even as we're talking about it, there's a lot of times when a product company will be like, "Oh, we do this thing," and everyone's super excited about it, and then we'll think about it internally. We're like, you know what? those things are specific to being a product company and don't work for a consultancy. So often we're like, well, we can kind of learn from this one, you know, 25% bit of it, but 75% of it would never work for a consultancy. Um, And this was one of those same ones where they came back and a lot of stuff. I'm like, yeah, that really works. If you have a whole bunch of small introverted teams working on a product does not work so well on a consultancy full of extroverts. You know, there's some really noticeable culture differences, but then I was like, but Karani is a perfect fit. It's usually only got one primary and then people are kind of throwing some 20 percent time at it it's a product it has a lot of like long running separate but long running conversations about features and bugs and
1: business development relationships that really could benefit from the threads so who knows yeah it was crazy the amount of detail particularly like ryan their uh, product person puts into the feature decisions i mean i can't even describe how long in detail these posts were with like lots of drawings and sketches it was wild that's cool.
0: Um, so we're we're pretty long already. So I've got one last thing for you guys. Um, feel free to censor this if you know there's anything you don't want to share. But I I want to know if you you know how you double tap your iPhone and then it um pops up if double tap the home button and it lets you flip through the last five apps that you had open. What are the last five apps you've used on your iPhone? Oh, that's a
2: great one. I love it. Well, of course, when I double Thank tap you. it, what I'm really going to do is pull up the the stupid. Uh, Apple Pay credit card thing by accident and I'm going to have to do it three times before <laughs> I finally get to the app switcher. Uh, but really this is just like w- which apps are in your iPhone dock. So off the top of my head um, Inbox uh, I think mm-hmm. I'm one of those people like between task apps and email I try literally every single one. Like if you go to the the productivity section of the app store I've installed like every single one and then I delete every single one. Uh, yep. The The ones I use right now I was using Todoist for months. I'm back to the hit list again. Uh, And for email, I think Inbox is pretty fantastic. I I haven't seen anything that compares to it uh, for my workflow. Yeah, I know for some people Outlook is great. Um, I don't see it. Uh, Google's Inbox is way where it groups everything in, and it'll have some things where it will only show you these emails once a day, and you can click a button and clear all of them. So it it groups all your your promotion stuff. It groups all of your work-related stuff. I really like that. Even the stuff where, like, if I have a flight tomorrow, it's going to bring up uh, an email, but it has all of the information on the flight right there uh, in the overview section. That's just so cool. None of the other ones do that. What else? Um, Isn't it weird? I click on these apps all day, and I can't even think of what's there. Obviously, uh, Safari. I should use Chrome, but I use Safari on my iPhone, Telegram, and Spotify. Uh, That's it for me all
1: right taylor so my last five are telegram tweetbot instagram safari and narwhal which is an ios reddit client that is insanely good oh yeah
0: so if i actually there you go
1: you went to reddit i would get that
0: yep um okay so i've got slack tweetbot telegram wait how many slack tweetbot telegram day one the journal and then Inbox. And I actually use Inbox and Outlook. I use Inbox for all my personal mail and Outlook for all my work email, but uh, Outlook was number six, so sweet yeah, Inbox. Cool. All right, well, the next time uh, y'all will hear at least uh, Jeffrey and Taylor's voices is when they're at Laracon and you're either there or you're listening to live streaming. If you're not listening to live streaming, then you'll probably watch, you'll be watching videos later. Um, and then all of us will be back together uh, a couple weeks after that. So until then... Happy travels to all y'all who are going to Lyricon. Um, I'm jealous of you, um, but then you can be jealous of my adorable baby in about a week. All right, see y'all later.